We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher here at Irish Breakdown, and I am going solo today. We have a lot going on. Vince is uh, on a little bit of a school field trip. Ryan is a little under the weather, and Sean is on his way to South Bend. Notre Dame is having a press conference beginning at 2.30 this afternoon. So Sean is making the drive in from Chicago to attend that. So he's going to get a chance to meet all the new assistant coaches in Notre Dame, and he'll have plenty of stories and information I am a little bit late. I had to put some recruiting intel, some recruiting scoop. Notre Dame has uh, just found out today that a coach for a top 100 player thinks that Notre Dame is the leader for his student athletes. So I had to put that on the, the Irish breakdown message board before we came. But uh, I want to thank everybody for being here today. Caught a little bit of an audible. We were going to talk about the needs for Notre Dame on defense in the 2023 class. But because Ryan is under the weather, I wanted to I wasn't going to do that show solo, but I, I really want Ryan to be part of that show. So we're going to push that off. And I really felt it was a good time to really dive into the Notre Dame coaching staff and just this whole process and just, you know, what we've learned from Marcus Freeman during this period of time, because, you know, now that Al Golden is officially hired, it's, it's, it's all set. I mean, all 10 assistant coaches are in place. I think there's some back office stuff that's going to have to happen now. That's the next step. But the on-field situation is taking has been taken care of, and I and I think that this is a this was a big test for Marcus Freeman, and I think as we kind of as we kind of go through this process, you, you, I think I think we learned a lot about the things he covets, the things that he finds important. I mean, covet in a positive way what he looks for in coaches. I think we learned a lot about his willingness to give leeway to other coaches to sort of have decision, you know, roles in a decision and then, but also being willing to say, okay, but this is a hire that I want. And that's what a head coach has to do. So we learned a lot about Marcus Freeman. And I think big picture, it's important to kind of talk about this because, you know, one of the things that, that I know we've talked a lot about here is when you, when you look at what is really the key ingredients to, to being a championship football team, it's not just the head coach. It's not just the players. I think a, a very overlooked aspect of this is the 
is the the assistant coaching aspect of it. And and I think when, when I look at when I look at you know the the best teams in the country, it's they'll usually have a a, a dynamic coordinator or two. Guys that are known as great recruiters, guys that are known as good teachers. You know, there's a lot that goes into building a great team, and it's it's not just the coaching part, but the recruiting part, the relationship part, and a dynamic staff. In my opinion, a strong staff. What is a dynamic staff? It's a staff that's filled with really high level teachers. You know, guys that know how to teach the players how to play the game. A dynamic staff is filled with guys that have a really good mind for the game. You know, guys that can break down film and watch an opponent and say, boy, that's the weakness. That's what we can exploit. That's how we can use this guy. A dynamic staff is one that that is great on game day, you know, with rotations and substitutions and play calls and, you know, adjustments and things along those lines. A dynamic staff is one that obviously is great at talent acquisition. So all those things kind of factor into what makes a dynamic coaching staff. And I think that's something that is needed. And I think it's especially, I think it's especially important in Notre Dame. I think because, you know, look, we've never, we've never, you know, I've pushed back a lot over the years on this notion, you know, how hard it is at Notre Dame. And it is, it is harder at Notre Dame. I think we can all agree to that. But I think there's a difference between it being hard and it being too hard. And I think a lot of the excuses in the past had to do, well, it's just, it's too hard to do this, 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 and this. When in reality, Notre Dame wasn't doing the things it needed to put itself in position to be successful. You know, we have argued on this show that, you know, Notre Dame in 2015 had a roster as good as anybody's, but they didn't have a coaching staff and a strength conditioning program as good as anybody's. And I think those are the things that have held Notre Dame back. There's been other years where you look and say, boy, that was a really talented football team. How were they not better? How was the 2011 team with all those first round draft picks not better than eight and five? And it comes down to coaching and, and, and development and building a culture and all those type of things. And so that can't just be about the head coach. It can't be. It's got to be about the assistance. And there's so many different aspects that go into this. I think there, there's part of the, you know, there's part of, of it is you've got to make sure that the staff is cohesive. They work together. That, you know, these guys are all, all, all on the same. We're all working towards the same goal. You know, um, you know, you look at situations where you've got to make sure that your offensive staff meshes together and works well, that everybody understands what their roles are. You've got to make sure that your defensive players are doing the same thing. And I think when you look at it, this has to be a, this has to be a situation for Notre Dame that they can't afford to not have these things. They can't afford to not have the dynamic coaching staff. They can't afford to not have guys that are grinders on the recruiting trail. They can't afford to not have, a lot of the things that honestly this staff just hasn't had in recent years. And that's what Marcus Freeman was tasked with when, you know, you look at, he was first hired and say, what, what is your objective? What is your job? What is your primary responsibility as head football coach at the university of Notre Dame? And it is to put yourself in position to compete for championships. And the problem that Notre Dame has had far too often in recent seasons with Brian Kelly is he did not do the things necessary to put his program and position to be successful. And I think that is that is something that Marcus Freeman had to make sure he didn't make that same mistake. You know, you'd have good coaching staffs in the past, but then they were balanced out by having a Brian Van Gorder or a Phil Longo, Paul Longo. You know, I think those are the things that that you you look at and say, hey, look, you can't you can't make those mistakes. You can you can't consistently make those mistakes. 
With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. The new year is a great time to focus on what's most important to you. Whether it's saving money by ordering less takeout, learning to cook, or prioritizing your wellness, HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. HelloFresh cuts back on time spent in the kitchen so you can spend it on other resolutions with meals ready in around 30 minutes or less. Plus, quick and easy meals, including 20-minute recipes and low-prep, easy cleanup options provide an even faster route to putting food on the table. HelloFresh is the perfect solution for a family like mine. With five kids and virtually no free time in the calendar, HelloFresh brings us fresh ingredients, easy recipes, all in one convenient package. It even allows for the long sought after family time that we love. HelloFresh is something that the whole family loves to prepare and enjoys eating. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash Irish16 and use code Irish16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Irish16 and use code Irish16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Remember, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The first big test for Marcus Freeman was going to be, can he put together a good staff? And and how good of a staff? And it was kind of interesting because the process was a little bit of a, you know, sort of a windy road. I guess this is a way to go as opposed to up and down. It's more of a windy road. And I'm going to be honest, there were a lot of times when I'm hearing things from sources and I'm looking at who I think the hires are going to be. And I'm like, eh, you know, it's just, it's, unfo- it's going to be an okay hire, but not a great one. And there were some hires that at first I didn't like. I'll be honest with you. When Al Golden's name was first mentioned, I, I was not fired up about it just because, you know, my immediate, you know, response, superficial response is, he hasn't called a game in a long time and he, the Miami situation. And then as you do a deeper dive, you you see more context in the Miami situation. And then you realize he's not being hired to be the head coach. He's been hired to be the defensive coordinator. And, you know, look, he's not going to need to be doing the defense all by himself. He will have Marcus Freeman if there is an adjustment period or not. So I, I came around on that hire. Now I'm fired up about it. And, you know, it's the Chansey Stuckey hire. You know, yeah, it was another coach that I would have preferred, but you you kind of say, okay, let's see what you do. And the early returns are great. The people I've talked to that that 
new coach Stuckey or have all been very high on it. And so I think the, the first step of this was Marcus Freeman had to make some decisions about who wasn't going to be coming back. And that was going to be very telling. And I, I think it told a good story. You know, there were three coaches that were not asked back and that was um, obviously the receivers coach, the O-line coach and the special teams coach. They were not going to be brought back. I think those were smart. Those are smart decisions. And then you you say, okay, well, you've got to you've got to upgrade there. Well, then during the process, you lose three coaches that you thought you were gonna have back at different times. And then you've got to replace those guys. Well, those were three of your better assistant coaches. So can you replace them and not you know lose ground while you're gaining ground in other positions? So it was not an easy process for Marcus Freeman. And there were some there were some bumps in the road in regards to okay, I thought my staff was gonna be this, but now it's not. Now I gotta go do this. And I think that he handled it really, really well. So I'm going to talk about some of the things that I like, you know, really about the coaching staff that Marcus Freeman has put together. I think the first thing that I, that I like is I like having young coaches. I like having veteran coaches. And I, but I think you can, you can err on the side of too many of one side. And I think when you look at Marcus Freeman's first coaching staff, I think he did a really nice job of putting together a, a staff that really combined the two very well. I think he did a nice job of bringing in some younger sort of more energetic is the, is the perception that you see, you know, guys that maybe came up in a different era with different schemes and different thoughts and different ways of doing things. You know, you have a 29 year old offensive coordinator, your receivers coach is 38 and believe your tight ends coach is in his thirties. You look at your defensive line coach is 37 your corners coach is in his mid-30s, your safeties coach is in his 20s, your special teams coach is in his 30s. So some young coaches. But then that's balanced out on both sides of the ball with you go hire Harry Heastan, who's in, you know 60 years old, early 60s. Then you hire Dylan McCullough, who's in his like, like mid, mid, mid-40s, mid to late 40s. The defensively, you bring in Al Golden as, as a you know 52-year-old who who has got a lot of head coaching experience. And that was a that was an aspect to me that, you know, we thought was we thought was important. I mean, that having a coach on staff that has some of that head coaching experience that you can kind of lean on and say, hey, you know, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? You know, how did you handle this situation? Because the coach can tell you, here's how I handled it, and I didn't handle it right. And you can learn from it that way as well. And I think that was really important to have that kind of coach. I think he also hired big names. I think that Big names matter, assuming those coaches can coach. You know, I like you got to hire guys that can coach. And, and I'm a big believer that I don't care what your name is. If you've got the chops, you got the chops. But I, I think we'd be naive if we didn't also say, but there's merit to having a guy that's got the chops who also comes with a big reputation. That's going to have a big impact on your current team. It's going to have a big impact on recruiting. And, and we've already seen that with Harry Heastan on the offensive line. I think we're going to see that with Dylan McCullough at running backs, uh, you know, the running backs coach. Those are two guys that in, in, in on offense that are considered in the coaching world, two of the very best at what they do at any level. You know, obviously Harry Heastan, we already know his reputation. I thought that was a tremendous hire. I thought that, you know, coach McCullough spent three years with the chiefs. They, they hired him away from USC was part of two super bowls, won a super bowl. The giants came calling other NFL teams are going to come calling. Other colleges are going to come call in. So I thought that was important. Al Golden, obviously, is a, is a big name. He's had a, a lot of success 
Obviously just came off of a Super Bowl appearance with the Bengals. And then Al Washington's another one. I mean, Al Washington's, you know, a year ago is considered a rising star in in the coaching world. Turned down a defensive coordinator job at Tennessee, according to reports. Well, Ohio State's defense stinks this year, and it kind of takes some of the shine off of him, even though I don't – I mean, I, I don't think he all of a sudden stopped knowing how to coach. He didn't forget how to coach, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, as we learn with Mike Elston, if you're on a staff that's not coordinated well and you don't – call things well and it's not organized well it doesn't really matter how good of an assistant coach you are you're going to have some struggles and and so I think that's another one that's kind of a guy that has a name he's going to it's it's having Al Washington on your staff is going to carry some weight on the recruiting staff on the recruiting trail and and I think that was important but all of them can coach right that's the thing is they can all coach and, and you, you know, I think that the other thing is I think that having a, a veteran like Al Golden, a guy that's, you know, got some experience to him, a guy that's been around is, is going to be good for Al Washington. You know, it's going to be good for Mike Mickens. It's going to be good for Chris O'Leary. Obviously, it's going to be good for, for Marcus Freeman as well. And we had somebody in the chat, I think it was yesterday, brought this up. And it, it, it was something I didn't really think about that, that I thought was a great point. And it was, it was it was to me, it was, you, you kind of looking at it like, look, Al Golden was a head football coach for 10 years. He was a head coach for five years at the university of Miami. You know, this is a guy that's been an out off defensive coordinator long time ago. I mean, back when Marcus Freeman was still a high school player and, and then into his early career at Ohio state. And the fact that, that Marcus Freeman, number one, was willing to go hire a coach that had that kind of name and reputation to replace him. Right, Al Golden is gonna is gonna come in and have some strong ideas on things. You would hope that he does anyway. You wouldn't want to hire a defensive coordinator that doesn't have strong ideas and strong opinions on things. But then you go into a situation and say, okay, but that 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 not all coaches are willing to do that. You know, we kind of saw that a little bit with Brian Kelly, where he was he was not always he was not always willing to, you know, bring in people that might challenge him or people that might, you know, have some strong opinions on things. He wasn't always willing to do that. And you you look at a situation where then what does it say about about Mark, about Al Goldman? He took that job. I think that's a part of it too. And and you know I think that part of the dynamic to me impressed me you know, that both of those coaches were willing to to kind of go into that situation and, and work in that kind of situation. And I think that dynamic is going to be impressive because the one thing about 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 Al Golden that is very true. And I saw this firsthand and I experienced this because he was coaching in the state of Virginia around the same time I was coaching in the state of Virginia. And I had a chance to kind of bump into him a lot on the recruiting trail is, you know, this is a guy that has a reputation as a very strong recruiter. And you put him on a coaching staff with Al Washington, with Marcus Freeman, you know, hopefully Mike Mickens and Chris O'Leary can continue to ascend and, and, and prove to be dynamic recruiters as well you have the makings of a really special recruiting staff on defense. And I think that dynamic is, is impressive. And and so I think that's kind of, you know, my overview of it. And I, I kind of want to get into some, some patterns that I, I look for. That's what I look for is like, what kind of, what kind of patterns, you know, there was the, the patterns in the Brian Kelly's like, okay, he, he, you know, guys he had connection with, or you can find different patterns of, of what a coach looks for. And, I think when you when you look at the the hires that that Brian that Marcus Freeman has made, there's three things that I think stand out that as I what either things I already know about coaches or things that I learn about coaches as I 
reach out to sources and people that have, you know, hired coaches and, or, or me covered these coaches and covered these programs and, and know about these coaches more than I do, you know, so you reach out to these people and you kind of find out, you know, what are you hearing? What are, what are they, you know, what's the reputation? What do the players say about them? You know, those type of things. And, and, you know, just trying to learn as much as you can. And and when you talk to people, you, you kind of say, what, what, what are the, co- the common themes that, that are, are told about these coaches as you're talking to different sources about them? And then look at it holistically from the entire staff, and and say, well, what are what are some things that the whole that you see from a theme from the whole staff? And I think the first thing that stood out to me when you look at the, the this staff, and you look at just kind of where Notre Dame is and and what the reputations are, is each each and every one of these guys from Chancey Stuck, even he's been a short period of time, Dylan McCullough. Jared Parker, Harry Heastan, Al Washington, Al Golden, and Brian Mason, that's the whole roster of coaches, is each one said these guys are good teachers of the game. They know how to teach their players how to play the game. You you listen to – there's several videos of Al Golden and several videos of his players talking about, you know, why they liked playing for him is he was able to make complex things less complicated and and they could go execute it at a higher level. You know, that's, that's really important. And that's a common theme. I mean, we know Harry Heastan had it. I've heard it about Dylan McCullough. I've heard it about all these coaches. And then you look at it and say, well, what's what's the next thing that stands out? I think the next thing that stands out is recruiting. You know, you hear the only really question mark I had in recruiting of the hires was, was Coach Stuckey because he just hasn't been doing it very long. Well, if you look at the intel that I just put on the board at the Irish Breakdown message board, premium message board, the, the intel I put out about you know, about a top, a top player that, that, you know, now the, the his head coach thinks that Notre Dame leads for, and it's a lot of it has to do with Chancey Stuckey. And so, so far he's done a great job, but, but the Notre Dame coach, Marcus Freeman felt and coaches at Notre Dame felt that he would immediately make a splash in recruiting. Harry Heastan, we know about Dylan McCullough is considered a great recruiter. Al Washington is considered a great recruiter. Brian Mason is someone who I've talked to a lot of people that have praised the job he does as a recruiter. And of course, Al Gold was known to that. And as Marcus Freeman said, look, you, you want to come coach for me, you got to be a recruiter, like a di- I think he said dynamic recruiter. And so far, he's done a good job of hiring exactly those kind of coaches. So I think that's very important because, you know, we talk a lot about, oh, it's harder at Notre Dame and Notre Dame can't do this and Notre Dame can't do that and all these different things that people people complain about when it comes to, to Notre Dame. And, and look, if we all accept the premise that uh, – Yes, it's harder at Notre Dame, but it's not impossible at Notre Dame. Then it, putting a staff together that's filled with dynamic recruiters and strong recruiters is exactly what you have to do to kind of balance out the fact that there are difficulties when it comes to Notre Dame and when it comes to putting it together an entire coaching staff. And so, you know, to me, I, I look at it and I say, you know, he's done exactly what you need to do at Notre Dame when it comes to recruiting. He's hired a coaching staff filled with really good recruiters. And I would argue that, that, you know, now guys like Mike Mickens have to really step up their game because in the past he was one of their better recruiters. And now it's like, you know, these other guys are going to come in there and grind too, buddy. you got to step it up. And and I think that's great. Cause that, that, that kind of friendly rivalry, I think is great. Hey, you know, man, you know, Mark, Tommy Freeman, Tommy Reese talked about that this, when Marcus Freeman was the defense coordinator. Like, hey, look what he's doing. I got up my game. And I think now you've got a roster 
of coaches full of this stuff. I think that's really important when it comes to talent acquisition is you have to have coaches that put in the work. You have to have coaches that are successful at it. Coaches that know how to have a, what does it mean to go to be a recruiter? You have to have a, a per, the personality to be successful. You have to, you know, a track record can help. You have to be a, a, a someone who can connect well with players in, in different ways. You have to be someone that's organized. You have to have a plan to make sure that you're, you're, you're on your whole board. You have to be good at talent evaluation and then you have to close. Now that's the part we don't know about yet. Cause this staff has not gone through a signing day, but that, those are the things that go into it, and they all have – They've so far the results have been pretty good, and they all have strong reputations. And there's the last piece that we've talked a little bit about and that I think is important. I want to spend some time on it, and that is a common theme with all these coaches has been – I hear – I've heard this phrase, the players love him. And whether it's Harry Heastan or Dylan McCullough or Chancey Stuckey, all, all the coaches, Al Golden, Al Washington – Players love him. I haven't heard one person say like, you know, he, you know, he doesn't push his players. He's, you know, he's just maybe not hard enough on him. Not demanding. That's not the thing. The players love him, and I think that's a huge thing. You know, we've praised Mike Elson for this in the past. This is something like Marcus Freeman puts a lot of a lot of value in when he was a, a position coach. This is something that I think has to be a part of what Notre Dame is about. I think it should always be a part of what Notre Dame is about. But I think in today's era, it's an, it's incredibly important, even more than it's ever been. And the reason I say that is, is because of different rules that have been enacted in college football, rules that I don't think are good for the game. You know, the, 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 the no penalty transfer rule, you know, just being able to leave whenever you want with no, with no consequences. The NIL stuff and the, the, just the Wild West manner in which it has been enacted. I think there's a lot of things that is it's going to make it harder for it's it's going to it's going to kind of create a twofold problem. Number one, you're getting to a situation where it's going to be harder for Notre Dame to to engage in talent acquisition in some of the ways that other schools are. I think the NIL, not the NIL, but the transfer portal, the way that it's been done, does put Notre Dame at this disadvantage right now because they can't just go out and get Jameer Gibbs and guys like that because of the fact that it's way harder to get to Notre Dame as a transfer student than as a high school student. And the fact that as of now, you know, I think Notre Dame is in a situation um, where it's just, there's just a big, re- a big, you know, sort of acquisition stream that they can't really partake in all that much. And I think that is to me, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. So Notre Dame is in a situation where if they lose a bunch of players, they can't just go out in the portal and replace them like a USC can, like an Alabama can. And so it's going to be imperative that Notre Dame maintain the players they have as much as they can. And if they are going to lose players, it's guys that they have kind of, they're okay losing because they're going to go replace them with the high school recruits because they're just making room for guys that can play. It's imperative that that continue. And the reality is, 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 not every kid's going to be enticed to stay because he's playing. You can't play everybody. I do think there are things you can do. You know, play a deeper rotation. If you're playing five, six receivers a game, that's more guys are going to be happy than if you're playing three or four a game, right? Same with running backs. If you're only playing one running backs, getting all the touches, and the other two are just kind of coming in just to give them a breather, like you know, like Brian Kelly said two years ago about Chris Tyree. Yeah, it just just comes in to give Kyron Williams a breather. 
You know, I, you know, I, th- those are things that are not going to help you are not going to help you keep players happy. You know, it's just, it's just not the way that it works. And so, you know, I, I think that, that you have to have a staff in place that is thrives on building connections with players on building relationships and bonds and trust with players. Because what I found in my experience of being a part of college football since 1997, as a player, then as a coach, as an analyst, back to being a coach, back to being an analyst, you know, I, I found that that players will – they're okay with you being hard on them. Most great players, the guys you want on your team, want to be coached. Most of them want to be challenged. Now, when I say coached hard, I'm not talking about in your – in your face, MFing them all the time. I'm talking about coaching them hard, meaning you're just demanding, always on them, always demanding more, always, always asking for more. But part of that, that has to be balanced with the trust that, hey, I know why coach is asking more of me. I know why coach is pushing me. I know why coach thinks that I need to do this or that I can do that or or that that I need to run more, or work harder, or that this hundred yard game wasn't good enough because I could should have had 150 or this 10 tackle game wasn't good enough because I should have had 15 or I didn't make the tackle that mattered. And I think you have to be demanding of young people if you're going to compete for a championship. But if you're demanding and there's not a relationship behind it, then what you're going to find is there's not going to be a trust level there. If there's not a trust level there, then kids are going to leave. And sometimes they're going to leave and they're starters or they're key contributors because they don't trust you. They don't think you have their back. And in football, if you don't trust the guy that, that, that you're being coached by, I don't, I don't care what playing time you're getting, you're, you're not going to be happy. And it's at a place like Notre Dame where there's also the academic demands and the social demands and all these other aspects of it is if you don't trust the guy in front of you, then it's going to be harder to keep guys here. I think that's a piece of it. But there's a second piece of it too. I've had a chance, Sean Davis has shared similar stories. I've had a chance over the years doing this job to get to know several players very well, to get to know a lot of parents very well. And I have been shocked over the years to hear time and time and time and time and time again from players. And I'm not talking backups, third stringers who were mad that they didn't play and left. I'm talking about guys that were captains, guys that were drafted, guys that are currently playing in the NFL. I've been shocked how, how often I hear the phrase, you know, they, they play for each other because they don't trust this, the head coach. And in some instances, it was the coordinator, the position coach. And so these kids are playing for each other. I mean, I heard this a ton in 2018 that they, that, that, and Sean and Malik Zaire have talked about this in the Lucky Lefty podcast where they did things in spite of the coaching. That's what they felt. You can't have that. And even if players are bought into staying because of the academics, if they think they're just playing for each other and not also playing for you, there's going to be a, ce- a lower ceiling on what you can be as a program at the end of the day. And so I think the fact that Marcus Freeman has hired coaches that come with great reputations in regards to building that building that trust, that that bond, that connection with players. In it, to me, is it's incredibly invaluable from a winning and losing standpoint, 
it can be the difference between a close win and a close loss. It can be the difference between um, the mindset stepping on the field against a good team of whether you think you can win or you know you're going to win. It, it can be the difference in the fourth quarter when you step on the field with two minutes left and you get the ball at midfield at Georgia with six, with, you know, and you're down six, you know, your, your connection, you're playing for each other, but your faith that, Hey, I mean, we got the ball. I know coach Reese is going to put us in position to be successful. I just got to go do my job. When you have that mindset, that mentality, Hey, I know coach Stucky's coached me up and I'm ready to go. I know coach Eastan's gotten me ready to go. Uh, you know, those type of things. Then, then I think that, that, that can, that can be the difference in those situations. And then, of course, with roster management, I think it's very, very important. So I, I think when I look at the aspects of of what Marcus Freeman has built at Notre Dame with this coaching staff, I think he struck all the right notes and all the right chords when it comes to looking at all the important things of a, what goes into building a coaching staff. And that is the teaching aspect the relationship aspect and the recruiting aspect. I think all three of those, I mean, it's check, check, check for all the coaches. And, you know, I think that now we've got to get this group of coaches to sort of mesh together. That's going to you know, be what the next five, six months is going to be about getting everybody on the same page and, you know, working towards the same goals, but the potential is there. And I, 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 I it would have been hard for, I mean, there's a, you know, coach here, coach there I could get into. I'm not going to say names, it's hard for me to now that I look back and I know who this who the seven new coaches are to really say, boy, I, I don't know if it could have gone a lot better, to be honest with you. And I, I even though on some coaches that initially when they were on the board, I wouldn't have said that about. And so I'm I mean, if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think you got to be excited about what they've done, in my opinion. I think I think I mean, you've, you've got to be pretty fired up about what they've done. So. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into some questions here, and I but I, before I do, I got to give you all a uh, just a little bit of a heads up on kind of what the rest of this day is going to look like. Obviously, I'm gonna have a little bit of a Q and A here. We'll talk about some of the questions that you all have, and we'll dive into some more things. But I hope you're all fired up about what Coach Freeman has done. We were gonna have a eight. We normally have a Wednesday night recruiting show. We're gonna have that tonight, but we are not gonna have that tonight because somebody that would be me. Uh, has a wife who whose birthday is today. So my wife Angela's birthday is today, and she is out currently getting her driver's license. The DMV, imagine that. Uh, but she's going to have a, a little massage later today, and then I'm going to make a home cooked meal for her. Uh, I'm going to make some chicken parm for her tonight, and then we're going to make a birthday, and then we're going to you know start a fire and have some fun and just relax. Her parents are in town. It's going to be a nice fun night. So uh, we are not going up oh, there. I guess my wife apparently is listening to the show today. So while she's sitting at the DMV, so. Uh, we will not have a show tonight because I'm going to be hanging out with my, my wife. We will reschedule for either Thursday or Friday. And uh, we'll, so we'll still have that PM show this week. It's just not going to be tonight. And I just wanted to let everybody know that uh, little scheduling change. And also, we are going to have a show on Saturday. Sean Davis and I are actually going to talk about we're going to look at them now that the new coaches are are on board and, you know, now that the coaches are on board, we're going to kind of look at the different coaches and get into sort of who has the toughest task, right? Which which of these coaches, in, in our view, has the toughest task and the most important task when it comes to 
just the immediate immediate need. So we're looking mostly at the the 2022 season, and and so we'll dive into that. Sean and I will will dive into that, and uh, it, it'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. So we're gonna do that on Saturday. So we will have our normal Thursday Friday show. We'll have our mailbag on Friday, and then that'll be our our Saturday show. And then I'll let you guys know. That's why you need to make sure that you have hit the subscribe button and uh, uh, hit the subscribe button and make sure that you hit the notification bell so that when we do schedule that show, you will, uh, you, you will know that we're going out. So yes, Gideon Rosa would like to tell Angela, thank you to Angela for letting Bryant do this for us. Hey, I was not going to sit in the DMV with her. So I was like, well, she's at the DMV. So I'm going to be able to do a show today. So uh, there, 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 there you go. So here we go. Uh, let's dive into some questions. We have some really good questions. And and I think that um, it's just some good. I want to get some some comments too, but we have a couple super chats here. Bronx ND fan would love to be in a barbershop with the entire coaching staff and Brian talking ball. I would too. I would love to be there. I don't see that happening anytime soon, but yes, I would. I would love to be sitting around talking ball with the Notre Dame coaches and just picking their brains and, and uh, just kind of seeing where they're all at. That would be, be a whole lot of fun. Bill Kostrup says, now that the staff is in place, thank you for the super chat, Bill. Thank you for the super chat too, Bronx ND fan. Now that the the staff is in place, there will be subtle differences, but what are some glaring changes we will see in spring ball and fall camp that will make us smile? And one thing I didn't talk about too is I think there are two really strong off the field hires that Marcus Freeman has made already in Chris Watt, James Laronitis, which I think also is going to play a big role in this. And, and I, you know, I, that that's a mistake on my part to not mention them sooner because that's a very, very important piece to this as well. The, the support staff in football today is so is so much more important than it was 15, 20, 10 years ago, but even especially 15, 20, 30 years ago. And those were, I think, two very, very strong hires. And I think that's kind of the next step for, for Coach Freeman is filling out that part of his staff is going to be important. But I think the one thing is just going to be is going to be energy. I think that that's something that I'm looking forward to is the the what I hear about the coaches that being young doesn't mean you're going to be energetic. If you're a quiet personality, I don't care if you're 22 or 52, you're going to be a quiet personality. But from what I'm hearing about all these coaches, they're, they're bringing a lot of energy, a lot of emotion, a lot of fire. Uh, I think you're going to see we we've already heard from players about in the spring about how you know Notre Dame was in a situation where you know they're out there they're out there just getting a ton more reps and getting a ton more work in and and just there's not as much standing around. And I think that's important because I could have a 15 minute shorter practice than you, but if my practice is very structured and we're going here to here to here to here to here, and we're moving and we're, we're, we're doing these things. And while we're doing special teams, this group's over here getting work in. And on this day, when we're doing special teams, this other group's over here getting work in, I think I'm going to end up getting more reps in, in my practice than you will in yours because we were so much more structured. And I think that's a very, very important piece of this. I think we're going to see that. We see a lot of energy. I'm hoping bill that, you know, when we get into fall, that that manifests in how they play on Saturdays. I think it's a big thing. I, this, this Notre Dame team hasn't always been the, the most genuine swagger. They haven't always been the most confident team. You know, I think they, 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 they haven't been the most pat fiery team always. I think we saw a little bit of an uptick this year, a little bit in some areas. But I, I want to see a team that plays with a lot of fire, a team that plays with a lot of emotion, good, healthy, like focused emotion. 
not talking about emotional, but just playing with emotion. There's two different things. And so I think when, you know, when I look at those type of things, Bill, I, I think those are the first things that we'll see. I think those are the first things that we'll notice when, when, when Notre Dame is, is out there. I think, I think those are the reports we'll hear and, and those type of things. And I think the other thing too is, and I don't know how we're going to see this necessarily early on, but I, I think, I, I think that when I look at, I just think there's a lot better teachers here. You know, I, I think that's the biggest thing. I think we're going to see the offensive line, you know, playing with force again, coming off and hitting people again. I think we're going to see receivers that know how to get off the line and are, you know, know how to stack and lean and manipulate and, and have improved top ends and attack the football and all those type of things. I, I think we're going to see that, you know, I think, I think we're going to see a, a team that just overall is just a, a better coach football team. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I think Tommy Reese gets a bad rap for some things that happened in 2021 that I think weren't on him in my opinion. And, and I think if, if he had quality coaches at those positions, you know, I think that I think that your you know the situation. I think the situation would have looked a lot different, and you know, I mean, a, a good coordinator is only as good as his assistants. I mean, that's that's the reality. Is I if I'm the quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator, I can't coach the offensive line. I can't coach the receivers and the running backs and the quarterbacks. I can only I can only control what I can control. I think he's going to be surrounded by a much better staff, top to bottom. I mean, John McNulty was a good football coach. Lance Taylor's a good football coach. But you all know my stance on the offensive line and receiver situations. And so, you know, I think that to me is is the things that I that I look for that I think we will I think we will see. Uh, I think we will see. So th- th- those are things those are things I think, Bill, that we'll we'll certainly get a chance to see to see right away. All right, let's get to a few more of these. So thank you for that, Bill. Terry Howie says, there are two There are two very good interviews with Al Golden and Cincinnati Bengals' YouTube channel. Very smart man who is very well respected in the game. Thank you for that, Terry. Yeah, there are, there's, some, there's some interviews there. There's also like Dave Lampham. Uh, I think that's his name. He's a former Bengals player. He did a, an interview with, with Al Golden where he was talking. It's really good. And I would encourage you to, to look at some of the interviews that, that were done with the players at Cincinnati. And when they were given their opinion about Al Golden. Bronx MD fan says the Golden Hire is a textbook example of emotional intelligence. Only a confident leader would make this hire. BK would never be comfortable hiring someone with that resume. I want to be clear. BK has hired people with that, le- with that resume, but it was never to, to, to run the side of the ball that he was on. Right? Like, I mean, look at he, you know, Brian Kelly hired made a great hire in Mike Elko. Brian Kelly made a great hire in in Marcus Freeman. I think Brian Kelly made a smart decision to promote Clark Lee and and let them go do what they do, especially Marcus Freeman. Because Marcus Freeman kind of came in with a little bit of like that rock star personality. You know, he was kind of a, you know, maybe the name was bigger than the resume, right? And the reputation was bigger than the resume. And Brian Kelly made that hire. But Brian Kelly's an offensive coach. I think that's the difference here is, Marcus Freeman is replacing Al Golden to, 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 to replace him himself and to hire someone. And, and he's going to have a hand and I want the defense to be this, 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 and this, but still bringing in someone that's not just going to be a puppet for you or just, a, you know, Hey, whatever coach Freeman says and does, 
you want someone that you're going to have a relationship with that, that you can give input to, but you want to bring in someone, if you're a smart coach, you want to bring in someone that also is going to have some strong ideas and some strong personalities and want to say to you, hey, coach, I hear what you're saying, but but I think there's a better way, and then be able to pound on the table and, and defend his way. Al Golden's going to be that kind of guy. And I think you're correct. It takes a confident leader to make that kind of hire on the side of the ball that is his area of expertise. I think that's the difference. And, and I think you're right. I don't think Brian Kelly would have made that type of hire. My only caveat is I would say on his side of the ball, which is we all know that Brian Kelly viewed himself more as an offensive guy. Truman Dumel, this is I, I didn't talk about this during the show because I saw your question and I thought this was a really good point that I wanted to get, get to. Truman says, talking about what he, Stan McCullough, Golden, having NFL pedigrees means to our coaching staff. So it's it's not just that, though. I would even go further. I think he, Stan McCullough, Golden have it. But I think we also look at Chancey Stuckey having played at the end of, in the NFL somewhat recently. And, and I think those are some important positions, especially the defensive coordinator and the offensive line coach. Those are important positions. And, and I think what this helps you with, Truman, is number one, I think in the NFL, you have to have a, a – we've talked about this yesterday. You have to have a little bit of versatility, multiplicity, and how you attack because the Tennessee Titans are going to do things a whole lot different than the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And and so you have to be able to adjust and adapt, and I think that's important for a guy like Al Golden. But when it comes to Coach Heastan and Coach McCullough, it's going to be it's going to be a situation where, you know, the, the key is going to be – it's going to really be about recruiting. I mean, that's the biggest asset, Truman, is when when you're Notre Dame, you know, like Al Golden can go to Keon Keeley and say, hey, Keon, you want to know what it takes to get to the NFL? Hey, I just was a linebackers coach. I was in the NFL for the last six years. I know what we look for. I know the traits we look for. I know when NFL teams value and covet when they're going to the, the, the draft process. And I know how to get – I know what we looked for, and I know how to get you there. And I, And Coach Washington can get you there, and I can get you there. You know, Harry, he stand. Hey, look at look at what the success I've had. Not only developing guys for the NFL, but why have I had that success? Because I coach in the NFL. I coach in a Super Bowl. Notre Dame has three assistant coaches that have coached in a Super Bowl. Harry, he stand with the Bears back in what was it? Oh six, oh seven, somewhere around there. Dylan McCullough has a Super Bowl championship ring, and he coached in another Super Bowl. And now Al Golden has a Super Bowl appearance, so they can say, Hey, look, I've been in the pinnacle of that profession. I know what it takes to get there. I know what we look for. I know, and I know how to teach it and I know how to coach it. And so I think from a recruiting standpoint, that is a huge, huge plus for Notre Dame to have multiple coaches that can say, Hey, look, I know how to do this. I know how to get you there. I know how to coach and do whatever the case may be that to get you where you need to get to. So that's a great question, Truman. And I think that is something that that is going to be a major asset. And there was actually, it's actually fewer NFL coaches now than it was before because before you had also had McNulty was part of that deal too, on offense anyway. So it's, it's an, and, and, and oh, and I forgot, meant Tommy Reese coached in the NFL. Tommy Reese coached with the Chargers for a year as well. So, I mean, so that's another coach that has NFL experience. So I think, I think those kind of things certainly help. Andres Nito, I'm pumped to watch this group get started this spring. How do you think this coaching staff assembly compares to BK's best coaching staff builds? I don't think it's compare. It's fair comparing BK to uh, BK's to Marcus Freeman's first staff. I think it's a. I think that's a fair thing to say, Andres. I think because when you look at, at at Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly was, was stepping into a situation where he was replacing a, a failed coach essentially, 
and Notre Dame's there's a lot of things that was going to make it harder to build the right kind of staff then than there is now. I think that's a fair thing to point out. So, I, so we were actually talking about this on the message board, uh, uh, I respect that message board. And it was, you know, what, what would we people consider the best coaching staff in Notre Dame? And I personally felt like the best coaching staff that, that, that Brian Kelly ever had was that 2017 coaching staff. Cause you had, you had chip long at OC. I thought chip did a good job. You had Tommy Reese as your quarterbacks coach. You had Harry Heastan as your O-line coach. And this is kind of where it wasn't as good. But you had uh, Autry Denson as your running backs coach. You had Dell Alexander as your receivers coach. Then on defense, I thought that was an excellent staff for the most part. I thought you had Mike Elson at defensive line. You had Mike Elko coaching linebackers. Excuse me, Clark Lee coaching linebackers. You had Todd Light coaching corners. You had Mike Elko coaching safeties. And I thought that was a really, really good Class. Plus, you had Matt Bayless, and the whole thing we haven't talked. I haven't talked at all about the show, which is that's a mistake on my part. We haven't talked about Matt Bayless still also being a part of this thing, so he's also staying. That's a huge, huge thing for Notre Dame. And so you look at it and you say, okay, that was a, that was the best Brian Kelly coaching staff. And the reason I say that is is because you had two good coordinators. The thing is now, as you look at that 2017 staff. At the time, Chip Long came to Notre Dame. He had one year as a coordinator under his belt, and that was at Memphis. Tommy Reese has now two years of, of, of being a coordinator under his belt at Notre Dame. Running backs coach, huge upgrade with Dylan McCullough over Autry Denson. Wide receivers coach, I think Chancey Stuckey is definitely an upgrade over Dell Alexander. The only question is going to be how much of one. Harry Heastan, obviously a wash. Tommy Reese, quarterbacks coach, that's a wash. Defensively, D-line, Al Washington and Mike Elston. I think at the time, Coach Elston, Coach Elston's second stint as the defensive line coach was better than his first stint. And the first stint was good too, but his second stint was better, and that was his first year of it. And I thought, you know, so I think at, that's, a, to me, about a wash. I think when you look at linebackers, Clark Lee and Al Golden, I would give the edge to Al Golden just from experience and obviously coaching at the highest level. But – I think Clark Lee was a good linebackers coach. I think he was a better coordinator than he was necessarily a linebackers coach, but he's still a good linebackers coach. It's just of two really good linebacker coaches. Who do I think is better? I think you give the to me. I would give it to Al Gold. Now, what we don't know is if he's going to be as good of a coordinator as Clark Lee was starting in 2018. And I I don't know if Al Golden like from a coordinator standpoint. I got to give the edge to Mike Elko because I just I could pop in film and evaluate the job Mike Elko did. I can't do that without gold. It would have to be me sort of taping, taking a leap of faith to do that. And that's really where it comes from. And, and you know, you guys know me, I, I like evidence, right? Like I like data. I like to be able to pop in film and say, this is why I think Mike Elko was the great hire. I did that with Marcus Freeman last year. This is why I think Marcus Freeman's a great hire. Why? It was it about this is about, no, it's because I popped in the film and I said, boy, that's a really well coached defense. And, and I just can't do that with Coach Golden because he hasn't been a defensive coordinator since 2005. I will say, however, with Coach Golden, my stance on him is very similar to my stance on Clark Lee going into 2018. You know, I advocated for Coach Lee get, you know, being promoted to a defensive coordinator in 2018. And my thought was, obviously, there's going to be continuity. I like continuity, but it's not the end-all, be-all. It was, I think if you got the chops, you got the chops. And what I knew of Clark Lee, I thought he had the chops. And so there's that same leap of faith without Golden that I took with Clark Lee. That worked out, but I can't compare Al Golden to Marcus Freeman and Mike Elko because I just don't have film to look at and say, hey, here's what I see from, from him. 
So obviously you'd have to, by default, give the edge to Mike Elko, who I thought was a really darn good defensive coordinator and is proven to be a really darn good defensive coordinator. Secondary-wise, I think safeties coach. Again, Elko was the safeties coach, so it's kind of hard to hold Chris O'Leary at the age of 26, 27 up to that standard. Cornerbacks coach Todd Light versus uh, Mike Mickens. I'd probably give the edge to Mike Mickens slightly. But, you know, I think I think Todd Light was a pretty decent corners coach. I just think his issue was more on the recruiting trail. I think you have to give the edge now to Matt Bayless from a strength conditioning standpoint from Matt Bayless in 2017 because in Matt Bayless 2017, he was still pushing to overcome sort of what happened before where now, you know, he's in year, what, six, right? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, 22, so year six. So he's got six years of this sucker rolling. And so I think that the strength conditioning aspect of it, I think you have to give and, you know, you have to like where they're at now compared to where they were then. So I think, I think as long as you accept my premise of 2017 being the best coaching staff that, that he had, I, I mean, I think it's advantage. I think it's advantage this current staff based on what we know of, of all the coaches. Get a few more questions here before we get out of here. Ed says, I just don't know if the coordinators are going to have elite game planning. Tommy Reese seems smart, but he hasn't yet proven it. Al was a good DC 15 years ago. Is he still? That kind of gets back to my point. But look, being a coordinator isn't something you just forget how to do, right? Like Mark Clark Lee, like I said, Clark Lee had never been a coordinator when he got hired and promoted for that job. If you got the chops, you got the chops. And and we'll find out if, if Al Golden has that. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, look, I'm excited about what the staff can be, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you all, hey, look, y'all, don't worry about it. Trust me, Al Golden's going to be phenomenal. I don't know. I'm optimistic, but I don't know, right? And so we always have to, we always have to, you know, the way we do it here is we're always, we're always going to give your honest opinion, but we're going to, we're also, we're not homers. This is an homer site. We're all, yeah, 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 don't worry, don't worry. He's going to be phenomenal. I, I don't know if he's going to be phenomenal. I, I'm optimistic. I think there's a lot of, encouraging signs but but i don't know the whole time reese hasn't proven it yet thing I, I part of me wonders if part of the thing that we're seeing here with tommy reese because i i see tom reese catch a lot of flack in social media i see a lot of flack uh in which i mean social media is what it is but i see a lot of a lot of flack about last season and different aspects. He hasn't proven this, that, the other thing. And, and, you know, I guess I just see it differently because I think how you evaluate a coordinator is, you know, what's he doing on the job he's asked to do. And I mean, there was plenty of times last year where you say, boy, how as a coordinator, like, what do you do when you can't run a ball? What do you do when your offensive line can't pass protect more than two seconds? Like, What's the thing on your call sheet you go to at that point in time? And that's the thing that I that kind of frustrates me a little bit is I, I think that people are, are are kind of putting on him maybe what some other people, you know, like what some other people should be judged for. You know, Tom Maurice isn't the person that hired Dell Alexander. He's not the person that hired Jeff Quinn. And I think as we saw, I don't I think if Tommy Reese puts his foot down and says, I don't want these guys to leave, and Marcus Freeman says, I don't care, they're leaving, one of two things is gonna happen. Either A or well, if Tommy Reese puts his foot down about these two coaches, 
one of two things going to happen. Marcus Freeman is going to relent and let him keep him, which means they're still on staff. Or B, Marcus Freeman say, no, that's not happening. And then Tommy Reese gets mad, picks up his stuff, and leaves. Right? That, that's what he would have done. The fact that Tommy Reese is still here and they're not here tells you to, to a degree that Tommy Reese is on board with that decision. Why would why would that be if it wasn't for the fact that you know he he knew that they need to be better at those positions? And I think that they are better, they're gonna be a lot better at those positions. So I think Tommy Reese was a was a much better game planner and play caller than people give him credit for. We've talked about this in the bowl game. Are there some calls that I would have liked to have seen differently? Uh, l- l- listen, Notre Dame could have scored 20, just as many points in the second half as did in the first half. And there's always going to be a time that you can look at and say, boy, I didn't like that call right there. I would hope that Tommy Reese is that way. Like, yeah, we scored 50 points, but man, I wish I could have that, that one second quarter call back. That's how great coaches are. I mean, that's how great competitors are. It's like, yeah, we won, but man, I wish I could have that one call back. Because the goal being the next time you play, you don't want to make that second quarter mistake. So I would imagine that Tommy Reese is going to have some of that, as all good coaches do. But I mean, look, let's not forget he called a, he designed a play in the second half that got Lorenzo Styles open on a post route. The throw was long and Lorenzo didn't lay out. I mean, that that's that's not necessarily on Tommy Reese. You know, there were there were there were adjustments that they made. Those adjustments didn't work because they couldn't run block. You know, and and Oklahoma State figured it out. Say, hey, look, they can't run the ball on us, so this is what we're gonna do. So I, I actually thought he made some adjustments. It just, again, he was coaching with one hand tied behind his back because he had a receivers coach that, you know, couldn't teach kids how to get off a of press. And he had an offensive line coach that couldn't teach run blocking all that effectively, especially this past year. So I, I think Tommy Reese is a lot more proven than and a lot and a lot more effective this year than I think a lot of people give him credit for. I think the other problem with Tommy Reese is perception. I think a lot of, I, I think. I'd be curious. I'm say I'm not gonna say. I th- I'd be curious if some of you that are critical of Tommy Reese are 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 deep down. It's more about you don't like how he got here. You didn't like the original hire and the premise behind it. The fact that Brian Kelly said it's a national search, and we all knew it wasn't a national search. We all knew that Tommy Reese is going to be the guy. That he's kind of conceived as Kelly's boy, and and all these different things. And that may all be true as far as what, you know, Kelly's actions to get him here. At the time, I told you at the time, I didn't love the hire at the time. I thought there was a, there was a couple coaches that were better, including one who just won a national championship that, that you could have gone and, and, and tried to get that would have been better for 2020. But the thing I said at the time is it may hurt you in 2020, but it's going to pay off in the long run because Tom Reese is a really smart coach. And I think we've started to see that manifest. Look, I'm not quite sure how it went down, but I can say with good confidence that coming out of the bye week, Tommy Reese was given a lot more authority to run the offense the way he wanted to run the offense. The final six games of the year, Notre Dame scored 40 points a game. The final six games of the year, Notre Dame averaged over 493 points per game. The final six games of the year, Notre Dame averaged 7.2 yards per play, yards per play. Those All those rankings would have been top 10 if you put them out over the course of the year. Yes, the, the the teams weren't as good, but Notre Dame did to those teams what you're supposed to do to teams when you are superior talent-wise and you coach better. They wiped all of those teams out. And we saw a lot of schematic things from Tommy Reese. I think this is going to be a good off-season project is to kind of go through, try to find as much film as I can to, you know, this will be something that we put on the premium message board because I can't put it out, you know, publicly, but, you know, go through some things and try to find some film where we can kind of point that 
we can kind of point that out. So, you know, I, I think, I think that that would be something that would be something that would be really fun to do to kind of help show people exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Angela would like to thank all of you for the birthday wishes. She loves her IB family. So thank you all for wishing my wife a happy birthday means a lot. I know I didn't realize she was watching the show. So that's, that's really awesome. So thank y'all for that. Okay. Let me just get to a few more questions here and we will be, we we will get out of here again. We'll be back tomorrow for another show. I think Stephen Hegarty, I think Stephen and I are on the same page here. I I agree with that. I, I do think Tommy Reese, um, I do think Tommy Reese is a guy that was handcuffed. And and I've heard this said a lot too about Tommy Reese. You know, he he doesn't he doesn't develop quarterbacks, or he's not into technique and things like that. Somebody made that comment. I, I don't agree with that. I, I look at, I've look Tommy Reese did not handle the Phil Dracovic situation well at all. I'll, I'll never change my mind on that. Tommy Reese could call me tomorrow. He won't, but Tommy Reese could call me tomorrow and explain to me the whole situation. And I'm going to tell him, I don't agree with you. You did not handle that. Well, having said that, that was kind of his first years, you know, really first, you know, second years of coach. And he wasn't the quarterback that he recruited. And I don't know if that's kind of, there's a whole lot of things, but I think he got the most out of Ian book that he can get out of Ian book. I think we saw Jack Cohn really progress throughout the year. I think some of the issues that Jack Cohn had earlier in the year were not about, Tommy Reese, they were about Jeff Quinn more than Tommy Reese. But Tommy Reese found ways to to get more out of Jack Cohn. He found ways to adapt the system to Jack Cohn. I think Jack Cohn's mechanics had to change a lot in one year at Notre Dame. That's the thing is being a primarily under center quarterback and then going from that to a primarily shotgun quarterback requires a lot of change. And I think Tommy Reese did a good job of, of getting Jack to the point where he was able to make that change. And Jack is now going to be a much more prepared NFL potential target because of the year he spent working with Tommy Reese in this offense. So I, I, you know, again, he's not the receivers coach. He, he's not, he is the quarterback's coach. He can't go coach the receivers, how to play. He can't go coach the offensive line on how to play. He has to coach the quarterbacks and that's why you hire other good assistants. So I just feel like there's like, I feel like, I feel like he, maybe it's cause he's like the last sort of, DNA of Brian Kelly. So there's just some harshness to him because of that, that I don't think should be there. I think we need to evaluate Brian Kelly for who Brian Kelly is. And, and to me, that's, you know, I mean, we need to evaluate Tom Reese for who Tommy Reese is, not for who Brian Kelly is. We need to evaluate Tom Reese for the job he does, not because of, you know, some feelings we may have about, about his coach. So I just wanted to address that because we've, We've seen, uh, we've seen that kind of, we've seen that kind of, do we really have a, I don't know who that was, but he's blocked now. Let me see here. Get down a few more of these questions. All right. Timeout. Tommy says Notre Dame has a recruiting coordinator. Would it repetitive to hire defensive and offensive recruiting coordinators or are there advantages? Well, I don't think they have a recruiting coordinator yet. I don't think that move has been made official, but I, I do believe that if you're going to have like one main recruiting corner, I do think there are advantages to having a guy that specifically works with the offense and a guy that spe- specifically works with the defense. As long as everybody's on the same page and kind of working together, I don't think that's a problem at all. I I, I think that, that that's not an issue at all. But I think there's – I think, look, I'd expand the recruiting staff in general. I would – you know, I'd, instead of just Chad Bowden and Dre – Chad Bowden and Dre Brown, I'd have 
Chad running the whole thing. I'd have, you know, a guy running with, working with the offensive coaches, a guy work with the defense coaches that all kind of report to Chad. And then I'd have, you know, just a staff that's just in, their goal is to just reach out to kids and develop connections and do what, you know, make sure the staff knows what they need to do. I, I think there's obs- a lot of that, a lot of that, that could happen. And it's happening. That's something that Marcus Freeman is the one that got that coming at Notre Dame. That was part of the deal for him coming over was to be able to bring Chad Bowden with him and, expand the recruiting operation. So you're going to see that continue to expand under Marcus Freeman. There's no doubt in my mind. Alex Paulser says, do you think Buck, do you think Buckner can beat Ohio state may get lopsided? I don't understand. I mean, could it be a blowout? Sure. I guess Notre Dame could blow Ohio state out. I mean, look, I don't understand why people think Ohio state's this juggernaut. Ohio state got their butt kicked twice last year. Okay. They got their butt kicked by Oregon. That was not a seven point game. They scored late. Oregon dominated that game from start to finish. The same Oregon team that got physically beat up by Utah, okay? Ohio State gave up over 40 points to Utah, whose offense is mediocre, and they got their butt kicked by Michigan last year, okay? This is not a great Ohio State team. It's a great Ohio State offense that will still be really, really good, but this is not your typical Ohio State nine future first-round picks on the roster type of thing. Okay, so I don't understand why there's this there's this thought that Notre Dame is just going to go into Columbus and get steamrolled. I, I don't know where that comes from. So, can Tyler Buckner be be part of beating Ohio State? Yeah, he can. He can be part of beating Ohio State. He's just one guy. There's 21 other starters, and a lot of other guys going to play. But can Tyler Buckner do that? Sure, sure. I mean, let, let's not forget Purdue curb stomped Ohio State not that long ago. Iowa curb stomped Ohio State not that long ago. Like I said, Ohio State got embarrassed last year by Michigan. They got outplayed for 60 minutes last year at home by Oregon. I mean, you know, I mean, look, if if Michael Brewer from Virginia Tech, a year when he threw 18 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, can go into Ohio State and beat them 35 to 21 in a year that they won a national championship, yes, Tyler Buckner can beat them. So I just I just don't understand why, again, anything can happen in football, right? But I don't understand why there's the assumption that Notre Dame is going to go to Columbus and just get their butt kicked. Uh, or or that Ohio State's just like, it, they're not going to Tuscaloosa, right? That, that, that's that's a fact. That would be a little bit maybe a different story. The Ohio State's a good team. I'm not predicting Notre Dame's going to win that game, but that, that absolutely should be a good game. Brent Smith says people tend to dismiss Tyler Buckner's junior in high school. 24-7 sports composite ranked him as a five-star recruit. We have our QB1, so now we have to wait and watch Reese go to work. Brent, I do I do think there's something to that. I do, I do think it's not that people have dismissed it. It's just kind of like one of those things it was it was a while ago. You know, it, 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 it he did that. I mean, 2000, that was 2019. I mean, oh, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to get into a, a political conversation here because it's it's not meant to be that at all. But it, the COVID thing has kind of has kind of changed our world a little bit, right? The COVID thing has, and what I mean by that is, this has been a long two years, and so like things that happened in 2019 seem a long time ago in our minds, and I think that's kind of what's happening to Tyler is. To your point, we we do kind of forget that. Now, Tyler was not a composite five-star recruit at the end of his career. He was when Notre Dame got him, like at some point in time as a junior, but him not playing and then 
the camp thing that he didn't have a good camp is, is he got dropped. He ended up being like number 71, but I had him as a five-star as a junior. Now, again, because of the injury and because of not playing as a senior, I, I dropped that grade down to four and a half. I had him as a top 50 recruit, but you're correct. He's a very, very talented player. There's no doubt in my mind he can be effective. It's just how quickly can that happen? Corey Schmida says, I'm expecting dramatic improvement from the offensive line next season. Is it realistic to expect that by game one? Yeah, I would expect the line to be better by game one. Now, will it be in peak midseason form by game one? No. Will it be improved from in game one? I, I it should be. Absolutely should be. There's there's no question about it. There's no question about it. All right. So that, that I think that's going to do it. I just want to make sure that there aren't any more super chats that came in. And oh, here we go. Ed says, I guess my question shouldn't be questioning Reese's OC. My question should be, can he develop Tyler and Drew into an elite quarterback? I don't think he can develop Drew into an elite quarterback because I don't think Drew has elite talent. I think he can you can win with Drew. Drew, Drew's a good football player, and you can win with him. But with Drew, it's more about, like I said, that point guard quarterback thing where it's like you got to put other really great players around him, and then he can go manage that thing and get the ball where he needs to get to. I, I like Drew Pine a lot. I don't think Drew's the kind of guy that can put a team on his shoulders and say, follow me to victory. Like Drew's not going to do what what Trevor Lawrence did in 2019 to Ohio State, where it's like the receivers weren't playing well, the line wasn't playing well, they were down 16 nothing, and Trevor just said, "I got this," and went out just phys- just made plays, running big time throws, and just put the team on his shoulders. That's not Drew. That's fine. That's not Drew. That's not Mac Jones either. Tyler is that kind of quarterback. You know, can he develop Tyler? That's a. I mean, look, that's the one thing I'll agree with Ed. We're on. We're 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 same page. Uh, to me, it's about, can he, can he get the most out of Tyler Buckner? That remains to be seen. That remains to be seen. We need to see him prove that. So yes, if that's your, if that's more of your concern that I am with you on, because we haven't seen, I've seen him put together really good game plans. I've seen him call some really good games. We haven't seen him take a young quarterback from scratch and develop him into a big time player that we haven't seen. And so, yes, I think that is. Um, I think that is a legitimate question, Ed. That part of it, I, we're much more, we're much more on the same page for about. No, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right, let's get down here. Let's see if we have any more good questions here. Okay, I think that is gonna do it. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much again. Thank you for wishing my wife happy birthday today. I appreciate that very much. Uh, make sure you're staying in the locked into irishbreakdown.com. Sign up for the message boards, boards.irishbreakdown.com. Make sure that you're signed up for those because we're always putting new intel up. Put some new intel up today. Had a backstory on kind of how the D coordinator thing came together. And of course, we can always continue these conversations together. So um, that's going to be that's going to be, I mean, we just, we have fun with that every single day. So you're definitely going to take advantage of that. Check out the bill bar, 10% off your entire purchase. If you use that promo code, Irish breakdown. Also, if you sign up for the message board for a monthly membership, you get 10% off your entire merch store purchase. And if you sign up for an annual membership, you will get a 20% off discount, your entire purchase. So definitely sign that, go to boards at irishbreakdown.com and join. And if you just want to support us financially, and you're not a person that posts on the message board, there's still value to it because there's intel on there that you don't get anywhere else. But you can also just do that to support us. We also have the uh, we have the uh, the blue the blue club, the gold club, the shamrock club. It's kind of the IB booster club where you can pay and you get an annual membership, but it's more about just paying to 
to kind of support Irish Breakdown, and, and we appreciate that as well. So everybody have a great rest of your day. We'll be back tomorrow at 1230. We're going to probably – tomorrow we'll probably have more of a recruiting focus, uh, but then and then, but keep an eye out. I'm not quite sure when I'm going to reschedule the, the night show this week. We will have it. I'm just not sure when. So anyway, everybody have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining me and the rest of our crew here at Irish Breakdown and our family down there, our community down there for uh, the Irish Breakdown crew. It's been a lot of fun. So thank you for being a part of the Irish Breakdown podcast.